recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. John Perkins. Yes, sir. You are you were new to me as of last month. I'd heard I'd heard your name from uh, the folks at Strong Towns um, and the the Reform Shreveport crew. Mm-hmm. I think Tim Wright told me to reach out to you and gave me your number. He's a nice guy. He is a nice guy. He's, He's a smart guy. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we uh, we talked last month i guess it's it's september the something now yeah um but we met at rhino right and i think this could turn into one of these three or four hour long conversations and we're <laughs> going to try to not let it but you have a, a, an absolute wealth of information mm. um you've got a, an intriguing and and what i deem to be accurate historical analysis of shreveport um from 1958 when you were born forward yes and uh you you bring a perspective to this podcast that that none of our previous previous guests have have yet been able to bring in. So, tell me about interstates. That's that's <laughs> a, <laughs> what I first what I and I'll, I'll be more specific. But uh, you were you were part of the Allendale Strong Committee, or you you started going to their meetings. Yes, and you were trying to help them keep the I forty nine extension from going right through the middle of their neighborhood. Right. And and in short, I love interstates. I've traveled on them my whole life. I was born just before Interstate 20 was built through Shreveport. And um, I I found myself coming back from covering a story in Lafayette. I'm a a media guy. I tell stories. Uh, I was working for ABC uh, in Lafayette at a theater shooting and driving home on 49. Uh, uh, I've driven all over this region for work and pleasure and I ran into Brian Salvatore, Dr. Salvatore's uh, uh, chemistry professor at LSUS and he had asked me for help on Facebook with media relations on stopping the open burn over in Minden which they were setting stuff only in Louisiana is it legal to take chemicals set them on fire and let the pollute the environment and so I said hey Brian what's up going on man uh uh, how's open burn looking? He said, oh, I think we got that settled. It's not going to happen, but there's one other thing I'd like you to take a look at. And he said to me that they're going to build I-49 through Allendale. I said, oh, my goodness, that's already been stopped twice, you know. Uh, and in Shreveport, that's usually your, your first clue that there's a fix in or something if they keep <laughs> on coming back to the well one more time. And so that piqued my curiosity. He asked me to Brian asked me to investigate it, and I brought my investigative skills to it, looking at what's good about building. It must be something good, right, if they want to keep building highways through cities. And it turns out there's not anything good about it. And since 1995, there hadn't been a study that says it's a good idea. In fact, the converse is true. They actually say it harms cities. Well, okay, well, let's get into more detail about that here in a minute. But give us a quick bio um, about, you know, who John Perkins is, and I know you're from here. So tell us, give us a little bio, and let's get back into why you became passionate about researching an interstate's effect on the city. Sure. I'm third generation Shreveport. I'm finishing up raising the fourth generation of Shreveporters, Generation Z. 
and uh, they're in college, uh, uh, a younger one is headed to college in a year, and so uh, I don't know that they're coming back here. So that, that was part of why I got active. But um, I'm a media guy. I was privileged to get a job at a radio station here called KMBQ that was attached to Kiel when I was 15, and I opened mics and spread the weather and changed tapes and programmed a very rudimentary computer that automated the station. And uh, that was great because they would call me at, at Bird and get me out of class to come straighten the computer out. And, uh, <laughs> and so I thought, well, I, this is a cool job. And so it, it just kind of stuck. I just stayed in uh, media. It kept being the path of least resistance for me. So I stayed in uh, media production for many, many, many years and wound up working uh, for clients that come into town uh, to produce stories in this region. And uh, then after Katrina, I was covering Katrina in New Orleans, came back here and all the movies had to move here. So my uh, work partner and I were geared up. We had all the equipment we needed to make uh, network quality uh, TV production. And so we started working for the films and that was really a an amazing gift. So I've been really lucky to have a fascinating uh, career helping people tell stories right here in Shreveport and never had to leave town. You, you've been here since you since birth? Yep, I've been here since 1958, June 4th, 1958, and okay. uh, I became a media junkie early. I was 10 when uh, national news was things like Robert F. Kennedy assassinated, Martin Luther King assassinated, uh, the, the uh, Democratic Convention uh, riots at the Democratic National Convention over uh, who would be the next president. Um, that, what year was the, the, that? So was you the were 68 five. election. No, I was you, about no, you 10. Were, you were five during the JFK assassination. I remember. That was the, you remember yeah. that? You remember that? It was yeah. 1963. And, yeah, because Dad called uh, Mom, and Mom was putting us both down, my sister and I, down for a nap, and yeah. she said, no, this, Dad says let's watch TV, and that was a very profound memory. You know, the 69 moon landing, it was yeah. 11, 68, Robert Kennedy was assassinated along with uh, MLK was assassinated right after yeah. that. Yeah, so that was all on TV. And so- A very turbulent decade to grow up in. Yeah, and uh, it was fascinating. And so I kind of became a news junkie. Back then, Shreveport had two newspapers. And as soon as I was kind of uh, aware enough, I started reading both papers every day. We. My parents took both papers. They were very uh, big readers, and so I just started reading and got really curious. And if you're curious, uh, it'll take you into some really interesting places. And so I've wound up covering stories uh, all over this region and, and, and worked in as far away as New York City and worked with a lot of New Yorker, New Jersey folks who come here to cover sports and news. Um, and that's what gives you a fascinating perspective on Shreveport, or when L.A. people come here to make movies, to see Shreveport with them through their eyes and try to explain to them, what's that going on down at that uh, a Confederate flag? What's that going on down there? Oh, that's just another, uh, you know, <laughs> confrontation yeah. that yeah. happens all the time. You, things that you don't really observe, you, you see it through their eyes. You know, how is the food here really yeah. compared to what you're used to back home? Yeah. in L.A. or New York. What media outlets have you worked for in town? Uh, you've seen my work, uh, you know, 
ABC through MTV, you know, pretty much all of them, if you're a freelancer or a stringer, as they call it in the business, you work for uh, AP and NBC, CBS. Uh, yeah, I've worked for all of them. And then a lot of those, uh, some of the most fascinating stuff is those crime shows that were a big deal. Then they would come to recreate a crime or to tell it, that story. But I was just lucky that, you know, I worked at... Uh, at First Methodist Church when we had a satellite uplink. Uh, there we were the 22nd city in the nation to have a satellite uh, ground station that could hit satellites. And so a lot of news, big news companies came through and uh, learned about how they conduct their business when there's flooding in Monroe, then they drive here and shoot it out on the satellite and I'd get to talk to the guys that shot it. So I became interested in doing that kind of work. But uh, then I went to, uh, KTBS and worked there for four years. That's when I first heard, uh, you know, it was a news business and uh, they were talking about uh, Shreveport's water plant is too old and decrepit and needs to be rebuilt and replaced. And the pipes were bad, that sort of thing. What year was that? That would have been somewhere between 86 and 90. Because they they moved water plants in 92 or 90. I went to the Waterworks Museum yesterday. Yeah, that's that, that's, that's ancient. That the yeah. one that that we're living off of right now was built. My dad's in a nursing home, and it was built before he was born. Oh wow! Yeah, and so when when the mayor's talking about there's main pipes that come out of there, Cross Lake was formed about 1929. They dammed up. Now I, I wasn't there, but my grandfather was, mm-hmm. and uh, they dammed up a bayou, and it filled up the region, and that absolutely went as predicted, right where they thought it would, and that was our water supply. But over many years, the uh, siltation, because if you put too much sugar in a glass of tea, you know, it's eventually going to fill up from the bottom. Mm -hmm. And over many years, all of that silt that flows in to Cross Lake settles. The trees that were all there died. It was woods, and the trees died and fell in the lake. And so around 86 to 90, while I was working uh, with Liz Wayne was there, you know, I was working there, and I just remember they were saying, hey, we need to dredge Cross Lake. That'll cost uh, $500 million to keep the water supply right. Eh, that's too expensive. So they built the, uh, they built the, uh, uh, in the 90s, they built the new convention center instead. That's shinier, sexier. You get your name on that. You don't get your name on a plaque at the bottom of the lake. So the lake got sh- more and more shallow. And at the same time, the plant, which uh, was built uh, probably in 27 or something, in the late 20s, uh, was really past its expiration date at that point. And they needed to also replace the water plant and rehabilitate our water supply so we'd have enough water to get through droughts. And it just wasn't done. That's like a lot of things that happen in cities. It's too expensive and it's kind of out of sight, like the pipes underground. you guys probably didn't know that the pipes were as old as they are. I really didn't, but we had pipes that we're addressing now that were more than 70 years old, which is how long they're supposed to last. So a young councilwoman like Levette comes on, Levette knows, but you know, your average council person just as a businessman gets a job on the council and doesn't know, oh man, those pipes are 60 years old. We should set aside some money yeah. to redo them. So that's how cities wind up backed up financially with more than they can pay for. So at that time in the 80s, I learned that the water plant 
was too old to function properly and in danger. And what that really means is that those pipes that are connected to it after it processes the water, it feeds water out through huge pipes, three of them as I understand maybe, out to the city of Shreveport. And those pipes are ancient too. And if they crack, we're out of water. On the other side of the, the plant is Cross Lake, which is shallow as can be now because it's been silting up for you know 90 years. And so uh, I don't know when the last time it was dredged or if ever, but it, they said it needed it in 1980, mid-80s, and they did not do it. So we got to find a new water supply so long and short of it and build, let's, build a new plant. Let's, let's create a whole episode about the water supply okay. and the Cross Lake situation and the pipe situation and the EPA declaration. And yeah, <laughs> right. You know, it, it's deep, man. I know. This I know. is a very uh, friend of mine, Jennifer Hill, who used to live here, has written on the highway situation, and she was trying to say, this is so dense that you really have to be willing to devote the time. I'm the guy who's curious enough when Brian Salvatore said, would you take a look at this highway they want to build? Yeah. That just really, I was like, well, there's something up if these guys really want to build it that bad. It's either really a good idea or it's not. Well, let's get to that. But first, let's take me back to Shreveport in the 1960s and the, and the Shreveport that you grew up in. And uh, you kind of mentioned that when we talked at Rhino not too long ago, you mentioned that uh, your dad was a lawyer downtown and you, yeah. you, know, you basically grew up in that, in that typical South Highland, Shreveport, Bird High School kind of way. So t tell me about Shreveport growing up here. Well, my side of Shreveport, which was white, was yeah. was very privileged. And Shreveport, to me, was amazing. You know, uh, if you've seen that movie, uh, uh, Christmas Story, when they go downtown shopping at Christmas, downtown was just like that, teeming with people. There was a, a candy store. You know, yeah. I, I was a kid. My dad would take me in there and let me pick out some candy. Yeah. It was awesome. Did you, you get know? a BB gun for Christmas? Yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. But that was, of course, you know, you'll put your eye out. Yeah, and, uh, sure. yeah that was all classic stuff. But, um, but you know, if you think of the old look with the people walking and families yeah. and everything, mom would take us to get our uh, school, back to school clothes at Selber's, M. Levy's, or, or Gold Rings. And um, those were really cool, uh, multi-story, which is very efficient, I've yeah. learned, is the way to do it, was build a multi-story uh, shopping mall, essentially, and put an elevator mm -hmm. in it, and uh, it's better for the city. But that, that was a cool thing, ride on an elevator, get new clothes, get in a car in the parking garage, and go back out to South Highlands. But I was very privileged. It was different for friends of mine that I've made since integration but we weren't integrated when I was a young guy. And so uh, that became a pretty upsetting time. Uh, but I integrated smoothly and was happily integrated. Mm -hmm. So I had an easy time making friends and I enjoyed being integrated, but not everybody. You weren't did. still in school during integration though. I mean, like the, weren't the public schools in Caddo integrated after the no, they, I, was, I was integrated from South Highlands to Cresswell over, oh, okay. over one summer, and I, what, I was in sixth year? grade. Oh, that's because, okay, you were born in 58. So yeah, that, sixth grade. I'm so in, you were only 10 years old. In, in the, yeah, okay. fifth grade, so I'm at South yeah. Highlands, sixth grade, I'm at Cresswell. That's right. And okay. I actually liked it. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was cool. I liked my new teachers that uh, really better than the stuffy old ladies that were teaching me <laughs> the previous year yeah. and uh, I learned a lot and had a, a great year but um, 
not everybody experienced that same thing, but I learned that, you know, we can all work together was my first impression was this works fine. What's the big deal? It was our parents that were all scared on both sides of that racial line that this will be bad. So you were about 10 years old, middle school, uh, when that process came Yeah, I was just, it was fifth grade, sixth grade wasn't middle school back then, but yeah, okay. I was a sixth grader. Uh, and then from there on, uh, you know, uh, the next year or two, I started reading the newspapers every day. I, I kind of had my uh, thinking cap on and was curious about what was going on in Shreveport and became fascinated with the news. And then... I think I was in eighth grade, and, and the 70 census was uh, announced that yeah. Shreveport was now the third largest city in Louisiana, having fallen from second place. I had known it originally, uh, been told we were bigger than New Orleans proper, mm-hmm. not the Metroplex New Orleans, but New Orleans, we were actually bigger. So we were technically the biggest city, at one time even bigger than Dallas, but we've uh, made a lot of bad decisions and had some bad things happen, like, uh, you know, the oil industry moved to Houston, and we were the center of that. So if you can imagine Shreveport in that day, full of white-collar guys, you know, the uh, state building was the United uh, Gas Pipeline building, and it was chock-a-block. On uh, Fairfield? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was white-collar oil executives, and... uh, then it wasn't. What of, what of the downtown buildings were built by the time you came around? I mean, obviously Slattery, all the all the 1920s buildings, the Lane and the Johnson. Yeah, and uh, the Petroleum Club was the Petroleum Club. Um, mm-hmm. So you had the Petroleum Building. Uh, not built was that, uh, they called it in my day, the American Tower was a new building, and mm-hmm. it was the glass the one. The black had, glass building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a big modern deal. To get there, though, they had, if I remember correctly, they had to remove the Washington Urie Hotel yep. and uh, some other historic buildings that we probably regret uh, losing. And uh, my grandparents, for instance, could tell stories about dancing on the rooftop to a band at, at the Washington Urie Hotel when the Allendale fire broke out, which was Shreveport's uh, version of the Great Chicago Fire, where the whole ancient neighborhood of Allendale basically caught fire and a lot of historic homes were destroyed in that fire and for them for that generation that was a huge event that shaped Shreveport and uh, my grandparents lived in Highland my dad grew up there and it was a gorgeous happy place for him to grow up he said and and so he would be sad to see because he could point, oh, that's so-and-so's house. Look at how it's fallen yeah. into decay. I'm the guy that says we could re- redo this and make it better well, and than it is, you know. But no so, one did that in, in my growing up. Yeah. He kept moving further and further south. And so now you show up to an Allendale Strong meeting, and you and a couple of the local Reform Shreveport folks have teamed up with Strong Towns, which is a national organization. And, yeah. And, um, Without getting into the politics of whether, yeah, I just want to know what's your axe to grind with I-49 coming, the, the extension of I-49, like why are you opposing it and what historical perspectives can you bring to bear as to why it's not a good idea? Okay, Brian Salvatore asked me to take a look at it, so I did, and yeah. I absolutely started reading everything I could find on why do cities build highways through them, because it okay. really kind of seems stupid, you know, uh, why would you? 
and uh, well, I'll play devil's advocate and say that it, it's good for commerce to be able to bring business in and to efficiently move people around a city quickly. So the, take that and, and uh, the, do with it what you will. The, okay, the, the, it's not. But the thinking was <laughs> that it would be amazing because all the country folks could easier get into town on Saturdays and go shopping at Selber's and uh, M. Levy's and all these stores that aren't there anymore. Okay. Stands was a big deal. And instead what and, happened— And you previously told me that, that that was the only day that, that African-American population was allowed that, to shop in some of those stores. That was the nice way of saying it was African-American Day. On, yeah. It was Saturdays. Okay. And that okay. was, you know, two reasons, because uh, there was no race mixing in those days. I wasn't really aware of it, but I am now. But also because Saturdays were the day off that these folks had— they lived near downtown and they could walk. It was a walkable city. Yeah. And they had moved in as white people had built new homes in Highland. Uh, Bird was built out in a, a cow pasture back in 29, is what my grandparents told me. And people thought, why the hell are you building way out there? And it was because the plan was to grow. So, uh, so these guys were able to walk in and conduct business on Saturday. I'm a businessman. If you lose one day of your six a week that you get, you're hurting financially. And so it actually had the converse effect. But urban planning, as I've come to understand it, and I'm, I'm just a, a lay person. But you're a researcher. A but I re do a lot I mean, of research. Urban planning, from what I've come to understand, uh, happens in like three-decade increments. So... They started building highways right after World War II. And think about the psychology of that greatest generation. You know, they had just kicked the Nazis out of Europe. Uh, they had beat Tojo and all the Japanese empire. They were young, strong, smart. They were kind of our uh, version today would be their, they were the millennials. Mm -hmm. They'd been to war, they'd come back winners. And we uh, were Americans, we can do anything. So. Ike Eisenhower says, let's build highways. And highways, I love highways. They're, interstate highways are great for getting from one city to another, but they really suck when once you get into town. And the idea was urban renewal. Uh, we will mow down this old neighborhood that's not really attractive and maybe has people we don't feel comfortable with, we'll move them somewhere, it doesn't matter where, and we'll put a highway there. Well, yeah, and I think Demetrius Norman made the point that you never see a um, you never see a nice neighborhood being mowed down to run an interstate through it. No, yeah. <laughs> no, and yeah. there's actually 1965 Transportation Act protects uh, nice neighborhoods by doing two things, and that's what this highway. But I shouldn't say right. nice; I should say higher income neighborhoods that, that where yeah. more higher income and politically influential people live. What I what right. I found out is Allendale's a really nice neighborhood. Yeah, it's just I, I, not, I've seen the same you know, thing. In fact, yeah. when we get done here, let's go eat at Debt's. Uh, oh yeah, us up north. I'll, I love it. The catfish are amazing on Fridays. There. Yeah, but yeah. she's right in the middle of the path that right. Shreveport uh, powerful people would like to build through there who wants know. to build through there you know uh, you don't have to name names you don't want to but what committee is pushing for it what what group of people says that it's a good idea well it's the same group of, of uh, white men that and mostly white men that uh, uh, and they would be proud to tell you that uh, it's the Greater Shreveport Chamber of Commerce and the committee of 100 okay and uh, then all of the ancillary groups that they're all members of like the Lions Club or whatever yeah. uh, they can show you 13 resolutions from major 
groups in this third largest city in one of the top 50 states in the nation that say this is a good idea. I can take you to cities all over the country that I've been to that say it's a good idea to take the highways out of the cities. Most recently, Syracuse has announced rather than spend the money to rebuild I-71, I think it is, through Syracuse, they're going to put the old grid back just like it was before, because that's where people interact with one another, they conduct business with one another. If you can imagine, if I built a highway across this table, what would happen to all the people that live here where my arm is? Right. They're, they're gone, right? They're no longer in that area. So what happens to all the businesses that and churches that used those, uh, that those folks utilized? They just lost their Saturdays, like we talked about happened downtown. Yeah. The, you know, the, all the people that shopped or worshipped or whatever have moved somewhere. And uh, so that strip of land doesn't pay any taxes. It's now cost taxes to keep it up instead of producing taxes such as they were, sales taxes and property taxes. But all everything alongside either side of the highway also uh, basically dies. And you can look through South Shreveport along I-49, and I'll take you guys on a drive, but uh, it's not having amazing growth. There's amazing growth right at the exit. They call that, the urban planners call that the exit culture. And so you get a pawn shop, a liquor store, and a gas station. And what else do you need? Um, <laughs> that's a joke. Yeah, right. Well, that's all I need when I'm driving, you know, is yeah. a liquor store, uh, get a frozen daiquiri and get back out on so, the interstate. So what, right? what to the argument of um, it, it facilitates, uh, as you said, country folks get into town easier and it, it, it makes people who, who maybe built further out, it makes their commute to town and away from town easier. To, yeah, like, and that I, turned out not to be the case. It made people okay. who were living in town and wanted to have a bigger home, you know, the uh, so-called American dream. It wasn't our dream until after World War II when we thought we can dream. You know, we choose to go to the moon not not because it's easy, but because it's hard. It was that kind of a thinking that Kennedy said, you know, we choose to do hard things, to build, to grow. And so uh, I could have a bigger house on cheaper land than I could rebuild, tear my house down and build it. I didn't have to put $100,000 into remodeling my old uh, 89-year-old home. I could just buy a new new built place with every whiz-bang gadget just outside of town and still get to Shreveport proper where my job is in no time. But, all right. What's wrong with that? What's wrong? If someone wants a nicer house on cheaper land and a bigger house with all the whiz-bang gadgets, yeah. what is wrong with that? Like, is there anything really inherently wrong with that? And what, what does it not Not for them. I okay. mean, it's a good financial move for that individual. Okay. But it absolutely rots the city from the core. And, and because uh, the way the development model has been is that you, uh, you say, okay, we're going to build a new neighborhood over here. If you, Shreveport, would agree, if that's okay with you, we'd like to build the roads to your specs. We'd like to build the underground infrastructure, uh, the pipes. that costs eight times what the road costs above it to specs. And we'll put in the fire hydrants, the this, drainage. These are the neighborhood designers telling this to the city. Right. The, that's the, uh, the developers. Okay, walk me through it. So okay. The, devel the developers go to the city and they and say. And they say, I, I've, uh, Papa Perkins died. And his son, uh, John, and his other son, Lee and Ann, don't want that property. I've just bought it from them. And I'd like to put in roads and pipes 
and I'll foot the bill for that and hand it over to you if you'll agree to annex it into the city and connect it to your city services. Sounds like a great deal to Co any city council. It costs nothing for the city. Right. They now get more land. They get more property tax base. If they're growing, if they have more people moving in, they do get more property tax base, at least yeah. for the time being. But does that property, uh, we're all taxed enough already, right? Tea Party, we're all taxed enough yeah, already. Yeah. I, I can't afford another penny of taxes. But those pipes underground and that road above ground are all going to go to crap uh, within 30 to 70 years for the pipes, 30 years for the roads, and need to be replaced. And now it's no longer the developer's responsibility it's to It's your responsibility. It's the taxpayer's responsibility right. to the city's report. So okay. now these guys that live out in this neighborhood on the edge of town, so we're having to drive our, our trash trucks further and put more miles on them, just like you don't like putting more miles on your car, to pick up their garbage and haul it all the way back to the dump. Maybe they're so far out like we had to do recently. You have to build a, another pump house to pump more water pressure because their water pressure is not good because there's too far from the source, which is over on, on Cross Lake. So you got some more infrastructure you gotta you gotta build in to keep them from griping. They're they're taxpayers too. So uh, eventually you haven't saved enough from the taxes you collected because at first it, it's a good deal. They're not really using a lot of taxes. Yeah. Maybe you built a new fire station like on LRB or out on the doctor's loop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> I was just saying, but you, you know what I mean? So you've had some more investments you've had to put in to get all that extra tax base, but you're still coasting on brand new roads and brand new pipes underground. But at 30 years, sitting out baking in the sun and freezing in the winters here in Shreveport, the roads start to crack up. Now they're mad because they're paying some of the highest property taxes in town. It feels to them because they're paying more taxes than they paid when they lived yeah. in the older, smaller house. But they're still not paying enough to uh, put into a savings account, if you can think of it that way, to save for that rainy day, which you know is coming in 30 years with the roads and 70 with the pipes underground. So then if they're really popular, and everybody's moving there in another. Now you need to four-lane, uh, I'll just say a road like maybe Ellerby would like to be a four-lane, or the doctor's loop needs a new uh, traffic signal there. Well, that's going to cost money. And so, you know, they start putting demands, but they're, and they are paying their taxes, don't get me wrong, but they're not paying enough. Meanwhile, your grandparents' old neighborhood in Highland has been paying taxes all along and, you know, now you're in competition. These roads need to be repaired and so do these, but we haven't collected enough money and saved it in order to, so now we gotta do a bond issue and take on a debt. And that's how we got to where we are today is uh, you absolutely can't, you aren't taxed enough to pay for the in repairing and replacing the infrastructure in front of your house. Your house isn't paying enough in taxes. Mine isn't. I actually have a house on a cul-de-sac, that's so inefficient that it should be outlawed, you know, because cul-de-sacs, you got to pump the water into the cul-de-sac and back out of the cul-de-sac without really getting the same. So in a sense, you can think of it as how many sewage pump stations away from the sewage treatment plant do you need to get my sewage to your treatment plant? So the further out you go, the more times you have a hidden expense that you and I don't think about every day, every morning when we're on the throne. We don't think, how many different times is my sewage going to have to go up a pump? 
and then drain back towards. And so that sort of expands exponentially. So we went. Yeah, let's talk about this. The, let's get off this potty language talk. Let's, um, <laughs> we went in 1982. We were peak efficiency. Well, well, before that, did you see anything get annexed in the 60s and 70s that is that you see now as a drain on the on the tax base? Yes. Uh, Of course, there were annexations. uh, You know, Spring Lake was annexed, and that was a farm. Do you remember the year the Spring Lake was annexed? I remember it was a big deal in the early 70s, and there were new homes out there, and it was kind of the Ellerby Road of its day. So all I know uh, my uh, my mom and dad's place uh, is just north of North Highlands, mm -hmm. and it was not in the city limits when my mom was coming out. She's older than you, but that wasn't in the city limits when she was coming up. And by the time in 86 when we moved to Shreveport, everything north of Pullman Road or somewhere in North Highlands had been annexed in. So that happened definitely after Well, they annexed in all of MLK. MLK was happily living on their own as a city uh, or village, I guess, and they were doing well. And they had their own water system and their own streets. And... MLK was annexed in. Why did why did the city want that? What did they want to be annexed in? I don't know. That's why I recommend you get uh, uh, Mayor uh, Cedric Glover, okay. uh, now State Representative Glover, because he knows that area. He grew up there, and he knows mm-hmm. that area. He was so our I, rep for a long I, time. I, I defer to his expertise, but I've heard stories that uh, some of that was just strict politics, and some of it was some people, of course, like anything, mm-hmm. wanted to be annexed in, and others. Didn't. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll defer to said on that. He understands it better than I do. But these were the yeah, sorts Sarah of— Sarah Bear mentioned we should have him on, too. She said she's had some great conversations. Hey, and, uh, he's a great guy. Yeah. You, you may not always agree with his political thinking, but he's a historian and okay. knows Shreveport's history, and he's a, a really fun to talk to. I, I okay. enjoy talking to him. Yeah, I talk to him all the time. And But, no, I don't know that because I'm a white guy, and I yeah. was hanging out mostly in southeast Shreveport yeah. where all the power was structured. And at that time, they said there were, like, seven different cities, villages of Shreveport. You know, and certainly Cedar Grove was a, a, its own town. It was annexed, and it was a village, I guess you might say, and it was annexed in, for better or worse. And, uh, and at that time, my point being that up until 82, we were a city on the growth. We deserved to be annexed into some degree. And we had peaked, in my estimation, and the estimation of a friend of mine who turned me on to this idea, was that was about the year that we were peak in terms of efficiency, economic efficiency. We had, uh, I think, 82 square miles, roughly. Now we're 128 square miles. So we've, like, 50% increase on our square miles. But we were, and that's in my lifetime. Yeah. I, I was born in 81, and now it's 19. And, and uh, That was a great year. I, 81 was Shreveport peak. You yeah. know, uh, the square was happening then. You could go down to the square. Uh, if you were old enough to get money up on the bar, that was kind of a problem. Uh, they weren't following a lot of rules, but it was but, but it was 19, like the yeah, revel. But in the, in, I'm just saying, the time of my lifetime, which mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people don't know this history, and a lot of people that listen to this podcast are probably younger than uh, than Thomas and, and me. So you're you're given a history that starts about the time I was born. Yeah. That says okay, 1982, and your metric is population density. Um, square miles, 82 square miles. Yeah, and our population might have been 120,000. Okay. So now we 
we peaked our population out at 205,000 a few years ago and, and we've we fallen yeah. back to 190,000. That's still, but we went from 82 square miles to 128 mm -hmm. square miles now. And for perspective, we have the same number of miles of pipe underground as Cincinnati, which has 600,000 people. We're only serving 190,000 people. We have 60, 70, maybe 80,000 rooftops here, houses. Cedric will know the exact number, I guarantee you. But, you know, we got the same number of pipes as Cincinnati does. We're, uh, Detroit's 142 square miles around and has 600,000 people still there, and you know they've been hurting and they've had to contract. We're just 20 miles, square miles smaller than Detroit, yeah. but have less than one-third of their population mm -hmm. to pay for the delivery of basic services. And that's why it's easy to do just some basic math, and you can realize that's impossible. As young people say, today it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. You just can't expect that to pay out, and so that's why we're in such deep trouble in Shreveport and in a lot of other cities around the nation. It's because uh, we're too big for our bridges, as my grandfather used to say. Well, and we're now annexing something else. Yeah, or the, I, I, yeah they annexed some more on in North Shreveport, and uh, with the best intentions probably of keeping the developer happy, because the developers will squeal if they're not able to develop, right? You know, And so the easiest development for them to make money is to take old farmland, mm -hmm. and that's the old Franks farm, mm -hmm. uh, John Franks and his wife. And so that's it's off Old Morningsport Road up there. Yeah, yeah and right so it's it's up. a no-brainer to a developer, and he can, yeah. he already has the formulas. He can go and lay out mm -hmm. the plots, put in the pipes, and uh, and no cares, uh, you know. And so, but you got to convince the the uh, Metropolitan Planning Commission it's a good idea. They usually will say, "Yeah, I don't see why not." But the urban planners in in that work for the MPC, as I understand it, said, "No, this isn't a good idea." But the board is politically appointed, and sometimes they're actually, uh, uh, you know, realtors or developers on that board. So they're going to vote for more of that because to them, it doesn't matter how big you are. Uh, they don't worry about that. It's how many jobs can I do without having to leave Shreveport to do one in a, another community. And I just don't well, think like that. I think what's best for me if it's to go to another town to do a job like up to Fayetteville, I get in my car and drive to Fayetteville once a month and do some work up there for a company, you know, for, uh, uh, you just go where the work is. Right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a softball. I've definitely got an answer for this, but to, to any detractor that says, well, what you're trying to do is stifle development. You're trying, I mean, you're, you're basically trying to interrupt capitalism. You got a developer who's got his hands on some land and he can make some money on it. Why do you want to put a stop to this? I don't want to stop development. What I want to do is uh, is actually change our development uh, model from for one that works best not only for the developer and the developer may not make as much money in a better model for the city, but ultimately the city has to survive. And we're 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 on life support right now. Shreveport is absolutely. I've never been gravely concerned, but I'm gravely concerned about Shreveport's health. I don't believe we'll see a two-term mayor in Shreveport's uh, next 20 years, my lifetime, because it's an impossible task. And I don't think anybody that knows anything about what's going on here would take the job. I think you, you rely on people that aren't as aware 
you know, or they would say no, thank you. I mean, people did ask me. Some to people run. like a challenge, and uh, well, so, it, some tough guys like a challenge. There might be that suit. one guy, but I, I don't know who it would be. Uh, I, yeah. I would like to do it in a fantasy world. I really wouldn't like to do it, but I would like to do it knowing that it was going to be a one-term thing, and I'm going to make hard decisions. I would well, prefer to see a switch to a city manager, like midwestern states do. Mm-hmm. That takes the politics out of it, so you can tell the developers. We're not going to be developing, or you're welcome to develop, to build up, is what uh, uh, Chris Coe, the the guy, and you guys should have guys that actually choose to move back, like Tim. You know, Chris is one of those guys that moved back to Shreveport after having an amazing career as an architect. He knows this subject better than I do, and he would tell you he's from L.A., but he's really from the—that's the other L.A. He's really from Shreveport, Louisiana. He just recently moved back. Yeah. He had a speaking engagement recently. Yeah. yeah I, missed, I had to miss that. And I, and I Do really not to, yeah. miss Chris Coe's speaking engagements. He can explain it to you in a way that I can't be. And he has the, uh, the technical skills and the education. I'm just telling you what I read. You know, well, he, I, I, think what, I think what I was getting at earlier is that you're not advocating for stopping development for the for the pure stopping of development's sake. What you're saying is these developments, especially the, those that are going on in, in, in the country properties that have not right. been annexed, they're not capitalistic in nature. Take they, Asheville, they, North Carolina. Well, Everybody loves to visit there. They're physically constrained because they were liberals in a, in a red state. And so the legislature said, you cannot not grow beyond these borders. Right. And they said, Here's, this is Asheville, and so it shall always be. They actually did something really conservative. They just paid off their debt and yeah. don't incur any more debt, smart. And they also build up, because that's the only way they can go. So Chris Coe will say the same thing, and he's in L.A., he, or was. He would say, build up, not out. So I'm in, out in Seattle vacationing recently and with a new educated eye to cities. I walk out my hotel room and there's an old strip mall like like the one that housed Centenary Hardware that mm-hmm. strong Yeah, sure, there. sure. They were building two decks higher mm-hmm. on it to put more housing and more business uh, offices two stories well, up above an old strip yeah. mall. Well, I don't like to dichotomize what's going on as an urban planning situation into, into liberal, conservative, left, right, Republican, Democrat, because it, to me it's a false dichotomy. And what, what I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make the point that when you create something and you're saying it's a capitalist endeavor, it's, a, it's an endeavor that um, is, we're just trying to develop and make money, you can't do that and then push it on to taxpayers to sustain over a period of time. Right. Now that's uh, uh, national socialism. You're expecting the government to take care of correct. your business. You're basically saying, wrong. you know, let me make my money on it, get out of here, and then government, you take care of it. Yeah. We've seen that in Shreveport more than once. To me, that's not capitalism, and to me, that's not sustainable development. But when you throw a word like sustainable in there, and you immediately you shut off conservative ears, and then you get you know, maybe liberal ears that are behind you going rah, rah, rah. Yeah. But what, what I'm trying to say is it's capitalist if it makes money. It, it yeah, shouldn't using be a right that, or a left wing thing. If we're, if we're asking the city of Shreveport to foot the bill again and again with decreasing population, we don't need more office space. We don't need more housing. We've got for 190,000 people in our current boundaries. Right. Maybe even smaller than our current boundaries. 
We've yes. got plenty of That'll space. be the painful part about being mayor and city council is we may have to contract. We, so and talk, about de, talk about de-annexation where it's, and, and how difficult that would be. Well, Memphis de-annexed city, uh, towns, villages that they annexed in the 70s, and they realized, oops, uh, you know, this isn't working out. Um, it It's not pretty, you know, and there's also... Uh, Depaving when you realize you've got more miles, lane miles. If you think of a lane mile as one mile of one lane and you have a four lane road like East 70th and then you build a fifth lane mile uh, on that road, now you've just increased your cost of maintenance 25%, but you're not getting 25% more joy out of riding on the road uh, and you didn't increase your income. You're not taxing people more. So you keep building bridges and lane miles, and all of a sudden you've got more than you can tax yourself. You can't afford to tax yourself enough. And that's what we're living through. Do we build a new highway but leave the Red River Bridge, uh, Jimmy Davis Bridge, unmet and need to repair, you know, because you don't, we don't tax ourselves enough. Well, and that's a, that's a micro. The, Jimmy that. Davis Bridge would be like a, a microcosmic example of, do we yeah. fix what we have? Do we improve what we have? Do we do we uh, you know infill? Do yeah. we sustain existing architecture yeah. and and development, or do we just scrap it and go somewhere else and build something uh, new made out of sheetrock? Yeah, I would say the most uh, sensible, you could call it conservative, but financially, fiscally conservative thing to do is take care of what you've already built and not buy. Don't go back to the store and buy another bike if you can't keep up the bike that you've already got it. Like, yeah, just because you can afford the big car doesn't mean you can afford the big insurance and the big gas. Yeah, or if I added on a new room to my house every year, I would eventually hit the point where I couldn't air condition all those square feet. If my front porch is falling off of the house, do I put a pool in the backyard because my neighbors will enjoy coming over and it'll be fun you know, or do yeah. I fix the front porch and, yeah. and improve the value of my home? And, and the only way to put that pool, to use that metaphor one step further, the only way to put that pool in the back is if that pool is going to make you enough money to fix your front porch. Yeah, that would and, make sense. If so you it's could like, charge your neighbors to go on it. Yeah. Okay, they looked at that with I-49 through Shreveport. Yeah, said, so that, I mean, that, said, how could take we that metaphor to the interstate. Well, if we just build more interstates, more people will come here, spend more money, and increase our tax base, right? Yeah, not true. And in fact... Uh, do, does Louisiana have enough people driving on the roads to pay for this? Uh, currently, we're paying for infrastructure by a gasoline tax that was set in 1992, and we're all taxed enough already, so we would resist raising taxes to get to $17 billion in backlog of repairs. So we can't do that. So they looked at I-49. How are you going to pay for it? Could a toll road work? And they studied it, and the statewide study said that toll roads only partially work down in the New Orleans area where you have a high enough traffic volume to collect tolls. And in Shreveport, you know, we would all just drive around the, yeah. <laughs> you know, we just wouldn't use there's it. three I, routes to any destination. Yeah, yeah, in Shreveport. So, but there's not the, the actual drivers that, that by their own projections that would drive on it, there wouldn't be enough people to pay the tolls to pay for it. So, uh, if it doesn't make money, maybe it doesn't make sense to do. And so then you get into the whole thing. There's an argument that says, um, but just think how awesome it would be, you know, and then you know this always works. Or as one politician said, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Well, it wasn't a no-brainer until 95 when 
the Embarcadero fell down in San Francisco, and the people that lived around it said, please don't put it back. Let's put back what was there before, which was a view of the bay and, and uh, businesses. And so they did, and then they found out their property values went up, and they actually started collecting more taxes off of the now privatized land. So again, you're in Seattle. They dug the tunnel underneath the city, finally finished paying that off billions, but now they're taking down the Alaskan Thruway, uh, uh, which was a double-decker elevated highway through Seattle that blocked a lot of view of the bay, putting back private uh, businesses there once they get the whole thing tore down. It's just not done anymore, except maybe in Shreveport, and that should be your first clue, maybe. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I'll give you a history lesson, uh, 70s cable TV is a big deal. It wasn't here, but they had it out west, you know, and we used to say it takes about five to ten years for whatever's a big deal out west to come to Shreveport. And the, in due time, you know, we eventually got HBO around 1980, I think, here, which seemed late to me as a young person. I was like, when are we going to get cable? When are we going to get HBO? That sort of thing. And you yeah. hear those same sorts of discussions. When are we going to you know, get well, high-speed internet. You, you mentioned you mentioned the folks that are that are pushing it. Um, yeah. I'll ask you two. All questions. of them lovely people. I, I like well, them personally, but no, I don't. But I disagree with. They're them. they're calling BS on 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 your arguments right now, right? So they're saying no. They're, <laughs> no, but what's, yeah. What are what are what are their arguments for? And then um, and what is and what is your thought? What is their incentive for? Like, why push for forty nine to go like? What did I-20 do for us, in, in your estimation, coming up, seeing I-20 mm -hmm. come through? D did all of the, you know, I-20 was sold yeah. and delivered, and now we have it. And it killed downtown. It, okay. it, it, maybe it's just, they'll say, well, that's just a coincidence, and maybe we should build another one going the other direction, yeah. and then you'll have it like, it's basically what psychologists call magical thinking. If you uh, know your history of World War II, uh, Air Force uh, and Navy would fly over these islands as they were trying to win back the Pacific, and they would build a landing strip. We still do it over in the Middle East, and then land planes, and they would drop off cargo, and everybody that was native to the island would become enriched briefly by all of that cargo that was dropped off. And so then the planes would leave, and they'd hop to a, another location. So they, the natives on that island would try to recreate, to call down from the heavens uh, the planes that would come bearing gifts. So they would build a, a runway and even build out of available materials a, a like a decoy airplane, like if a, you will. Yeah. yeah. And like that, the, the Kevin Costner, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was a cargo cult mentality. Maybe if we build this, they'll see it and say, oh, let's land here like ducks can yeah. be decoyed into a landing zone. Like we built 20, we built 49. When know. does all? When do all of those, uh, you know, uh, we've got a ton of industrial sites out in West Shreveport by 3132. That's why they built the Burt Coons Industrial yeah. Loop. You we know, have the infrastructure have the, for um, logistics operations to, to be here instead of wherever else they are. Right, and so uh, that's the problem is we built it, they didn't come, so now we're trying to build it again through uh, a neighborhood that was, would, if you ask debt, it's a great place to put a restaurant. And she's, yeah. you know, they were rebuilding themselves and now they were told you have to stop, not by any official of the government, but by the Shreveport business community said no more building 
because until this I-49 thing's settled. As it stands today, I-49 uh, won't have a record of decision until at the earliest 2021. And if it could be completed, either the loop or uh, through Allendale, it, earliest it could be completed if the money showed up from who knows, I guess the feds would have to print a lot of money. It could be completed for our estimate is more like a billion dollars and it would be finished if that all appeared suddenly in 2037. You could drive on it. I doubt I'll, my kids will have taken yeah. my keys away by then, so I won't get to drive on it either way. You'll have a self-driving car. You just plug in where you need to go and it'll I, take you there. I, 50 years ago, the Jetsons, I'm going to have the flying car and I'm going to hit the button and drop my dog off at the uh, at the vet. This is actually what I'll be doing, but and it'll be a self-flying car, I hope. Cause, but, it, but seriously, it's not like a, a rapid solution for Shreveport's problems. You know, it won't fix everything overnight, except for maybe the designers. We've spent millions so far on just talking about it with uh, design firms and, and engineers and the, the building materials suppliers and the actual construction contractor, once it's let for bids, it may be six or seven years once they have a record of decision from FHWA. So why is it stopped until 2021? Uh, because the 1966 Transportation Act, which I think was probably written to protect Demetrius's nicer neighborhoods, mm -hmm. says that you can't build a highway through parks, you can't build a highway through historic sites using federal money. Mm -hmm. And so that federal money isn't available for it until they figure out a way to solve the problem that Allendale has a civil war fort, the best example existing of a civil war fort and when we go eat at debts, I'll drive you over there and you can look and see the remains of uh, Fort Albert Sidney Johnson right in the path. And there's also several other, in fact, 46 historic fight sites that were found through their cultural and uh, historical study. Mm -hmm. 26 of them are considered very significant. So you can't build until you figure out a way. So now they're actually looking at the loop as another way to uh, get this job okay. finished. Well, here's, here's the million dollar question. So you've seen uh, the square footage, the square mileage of Shreveport yeah. increase yeah. in your time. You've seen the population decrease. Right. You've seen... Increase uh, and decrease. Okay. You, yeah, that's true. You've seen entire farmlands annexed and brought in and mm -hmm. neighborhoods built up where cow pastures used to be. Yeah. Um, how do you reverse the the trend of a decreasing population how do you, or just just throw out an idea of how you reverse that, and um, and also, is there a path to de-annexation that's even viable? As some neighborhoods were talking about wanting to be de-annexed a few years ago, they might be thinking better of it now and might resent being told we're de-annexed. Do we not need their tax revenue? Not a, okay. Uh, uh, you got a cup of coffee there. Say it costs a dollar to produce it, and um, but you can't sell it for you know five dollars like they do now. You can yeah. only sell it for fifty cents. How many fifty cent cups of coffee? Where at what point would you start making money if it cost you a dollar to produce, but you only get fifty cents right. for it? So you're losing money on every annexation. At some point, you have to stop annexation. That would be the first step. Would be to stop annexation. 
then you have to look at, I, w I would think, and I'm, I'm just a layman, but I would think you'd have to look at, is this road really worth redoing, or do we just say we're going to let that one decay? Uh, you look to cities that are, are having some success with it, like Detroit, uh, you know, has been through this. So what mistakes did they make, and what can we learn from it? Instead yeah, of laughing broke. at them. Right, and they yeah. went broke. They also, they, the reason that they are broke is because they used like they we used to grow cotton mm -hmm. right that's yeah. where our money came from that's the reason we're here that's the reason we all live here that's the reason we cleaned out the river like all of those things are because we were agriculture they they were not then we were they, oil and gas right and, the, and which, when i grew up here we were the oil and gas capital which backs up the cars that they were making there Right. right. And then that's a, a part of like all of what I, I understand all of your points. However, saying that someone is not going to take an easier route to get a better house, to get anything better for themselves and do something better for the city is something that I and you probably agree with. But it's economically uh, okay. uh, not not that's that's uh let me stop you for a second okay the history of detroit because I, I i you know i've been studying this for five years i uh, i recommend that you read something every night before bed just one article you know and over time you'll start to see where that takes you that's what i did and i listened to a podcast one time i stumbled on strong towns and i then i show up at an allendale strong meeting and tim's there and uh, we were talking about, you know, no one here understands this. Where do we find somebody who does that can come speak? I was like, well, I like this guy named uh, Charles Marone. And Tim lit up. He's like, I'll listen to his podcast. You know, and we realized we were both fanboys. That's how I became friends with yeah. Tim. And then we ultimately decided to bring him. But if you look at the history of Detroit, Detroit started building highways through the city in the 1940s, uh, 1930s, before um, the interstate system came yeah. about. Yeah, and they started before anybody else, and they at the same time happened to be growing. Because you get that sugar rush initially. There's lots of construction, so there's lots of construction jobs. They started flattening old buildings, which are very efficient because they're already built. They're multi-story, so they actually tax at a higher rate for the city. The reason why Walmart builds the giant uh, multi-acre place, which is expensive for you and I to pay for all the infrastructure that goes around and all that pipes and all that the parking lot's taxed at zero you know it's taxed like an empty lot vacant lot and the building a one-story building unlike the sears which failed is two stories or maybe three i don't remember but a one-story building's taxed property taxes are lower than the same square footage stacked on top of each other so it's more efficient for the for the walton family to build them giant it's less efficient for the host city and so i can show you graphics on that that your downtown building actually pays more city taxes and more in wages and creates more housing than these neighborhoods do that are built up beyond a Walmart. It's just too expensive. Yeah. You know, the, it's the ability to say, uh, it looks cool, we've seen it in Dallas, but we can't afford to do it, you know. And how do you get back to that? I honestly don't know, but all of America is trying to figure that out yeah. right now. There are people who have ideas, and I would say if it doesn't make money, you know, uh, it's not a good idea. Well, all right, back to your point, Anna Thomas's point, you said let's look to Detroit, who's, you know, faced some of these issues and mm -hmm. tried to tackle them and made some mistakes and made some successes. And to Thomas's point, they're totally broke. 
Right, and, and my point is that they're, they're trying. They're, they're coming back around, and, and that you, you can go there. And I think that they'll rebuild in, a, in such a way that's more efficient. And that's what we, we, we're talking about, learning from our mistakes and, and moving forward. And, and I understand, uh, understand all of your points. Uh, however, uh, there, are, there are certain things about the area we live in. The fact that the property outside of town is cheap Right, always. It's cheap. So it's it's cheap. outside and, of every and appreciating. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so if you buy something for for cheap and then you build a bigger house, which is what you're, you know, maybe you don't really want that, but the marketing uh, that you're watching on TV and through your social sure. media feed and all that stuff tells you get as much as you can get. Absolutely. Now, and pure economics. Right, and that's what I'm saying is the economic model. You can't just switch it around because you don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not gonna. That's not like. I would like to understand how we do these things better by looking at what what you've studied, which is, hey, they're saying that this is going to be better. Here's the reason that it's not so good. So what are the what are the ways that like how should we like where should we be looking to go? And I think that comes a lot from from small towns and from from what you're saying, what build what take what you already have and build on top of that and if if you teach your kids to do that then they'll be less uh they'll be less likely to to choose i'm gonna go out on uh doctor's highway as i believe you called it and and live out there right but you also previously said your children aren't coming back here I don't think so. so. And look at me. I, I moved to Spring Lake, which was an expansion, well, uh, and, you know, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Well, but that's then. the thing. Maybe maybe that's the, the, the thing is educating everyone needs to understand these things. You can't just say, hey, this is a bad idea. We already looked at it. Cedric looked at it. And he knows. Now, a lot of people have a lot of good things to say about Cedric. A lot of people have a lot of bad things to Absolutely. say. And we're not here. We're not doing this to to. Like yeah, we got no. We're not, this isn't like a gotcha. We're we're literally trying to figure out. Like, we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. You've yeah. listened to those conversations, yeah. and most of those conversations are: what are we doing right? We know we're doing a lot of stuff wrong. So that's what for, for me. I think it's valuable that that you've researched. You've done all this reading. Um, I agree that you should read every day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and 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 then you know make like make that. Maybe education is what you're saying. I'm not sure if that is is the point, but the driving a you know putting the freeway through the town, like what's how how do we change that from from if we're if you're saying since 2021 is when that decision will be made? How, how is there? Now. Yeah. How do you how do you educate the public to make the correct decision there? Do, do you, or, or is it like we don't know yet? Ultimately, the public has a say in it. There's a public input period, but it'll really be decided by, and that's part of the problem, is that <clears throat> there's nobody that says, read the studies, this is a bad idea. Right. Um, so if you have a group of powerful and, and loud business people that say, we think this is a good idea. Well, of course they do. They'll make money off of it, well, whether it's well, good for the city or not. But how do they make money off of uh, the... So, uh, for the selling the materials, you know, uh, asphalt and, and concrete. Okay. Uh, you know, there's places that sell that. And those giant uh, columns that the highways sit on, if they're going to be elevated over all your historic sites, 
uh, cost money. Uh, they're really expensive. And, and we think are, a, a billion dollars will change hands ultimately. But that's local companies are manufacturing some this of product? Them, uh, yes, some of them. Uh, there's a guy that manufactures uh, uh, the sound uh, dampening panels sure. here in Shreveport. And sure. Of course, he thinks it's a good idea. I'm not surprised. I like the guy personally, but yeah. he's just wrong. You know, we can uh, disagree. Well, and, and and that's not his only business, to be fair. But uh, he he is he is also you know from here, right? Like. Like, he I'm lives, sure that, yeah, actually lives in Blanchard. I don't know. Uh, and so he, of course, drives in on 49. And if you asked him, uh, he would say that he doesn't like stopping at all the stoplights. So, which stoplights are coming? So we're talking in about from Blanchard down North Market. Whereas then, my solution, our solution, and we have engineers and we have uh, urban planners. I didn't come up with this myself. Yeah. Now we have lawyers. We have a 501c3. I mean, as this has grown, we've gotten more serious about it. My solution is to change the way that uh, through the legislative process that we do. It's changing because there's no money. So it's, it's education to be realistic. Do you really want to put a billion dollars buried in the ground? Uh, right now we're spending $90 million and Shreveport kicks in 250000 a year for 12 years on a new entrance ramp to I-20 from Barksdale. That'll be a $90 million project. The state collects $700 million a year in uh, gasoline taxes. They have a $17 billion this year uh, uh, backlog of projects to repair. How do you divvy up that $700 million amongst $17 billion in project repairs? Would it be better to take $100 million and blow it on something like fixing up the 34, 40 bridges that are closed right now? Or do we spend it on a new entrance ramp for Barksdale? It's my whole life we lived with Barksdale and they didn't have that new entrance ramp. Suddenly they need it, but they want Shreveport and Caddo to put in half a million dollars a year together over 12 years, Bozier and Bozier Parish are putting it in. I don't see the, the payback force on that, but I could see the payback in putting in some money on keeping fiber bond here by fixing, shoring up their bridges. Their bridges that they use haven't decayed to the point where it's an emergency, so those bridges are still open. But we have uh, Department of uh, Transportation Secretary Sean Wilson's closed uh, 36, I think, bridges around Louisiana this year. So you got $700 million. Are you going to spend it on building new or are you going to fix the bad? You know, I say if we have a $17 billion backlog on, uh, on infrastructure repair needs and we spent $700 million, we wouldn't have to raise taxes. Everybody's happy. And we could, over 30 years, I think, spend that $700 million repairing old infrastructure and take care of that $17 billion backlog, we could service it better. Right now we're splitting that $700 million between the state match on new projects and the, and the state fixing old stuff. You guys driven on 3132 lately? It's like a ride at the fair, you know, and they've got a really nice uh, pile of dirt that they took a lot of care to get the sweet angle of repose where it'll hold up the retaining wall. So uh, as I like to joke, if your new retaining wall is a pile of dirt that's holding up your old retaining wall that's holding up the I-49 interchange, you just might need to rethink your uh, 
expenditures. Where do you spend the money? So we got a pile of dirt holding up a retaining wall that's holding up the that over giant overpass uh, 49, 3132 interchange. And that's how we, we fix things here now because we only tax ourselves and I, I agree, I don't really want my gasoline bill to go up either, but we only tax ourselves at a certain rate and it only provides $700 million a year to the entire state of Louisiana to fix things and build new things. And I don't want to use the U word, but that's just not something that can carry on. You know, you're, it's going bad faster than it uh, can be repaired. So Detroit made the mistakes they made before the other cities. After World War II, the other cities saw Detroit booming and said, whoa, we could do that too. And we're a post-industrial Shreveport. I was here when GM came in. You had uh, AT&T, Bell Telephones was making telephones. They were talking about making a video phone out there and started to and then closed the plant. Um, that was around the time you were born. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, uh, General Electric, they had gold battery. There, this was an industrial town. There was a point where we switched from a white-collar town in my lifetime, and it was all white-collar uh, engineers, landmen, all of that sort of thing with oil and gas, and it absolutely moved to Houston, and then we were like, now what do we do? We became an, a blue-collar industrial town, and some of the white-collar folks didn't really uh, grok that. You know, they didn't understand that and so they kept going on as if we just need to build one more interstate or something and mm -hmm. we will be amazing they shut down uh you know we absolutely let municipal decay for a long time and and did not take care of our uh, country so when i'm working on films i'm i'm setting up uh, an interview set at the municipal and people are coming in, lawyers coming in to conduct business will stop me and say, hey, this is the municipal, you know, Louisiana Hayride, could I get a tour? And so I'll give them my tour. And now they're starting to do tours. The answer to what's wrong with Shreveport is what's right with Shreveport. There's some amazing people still here, and some people like Tim who've moved here, Chris Coe's amazing, that can uh, help us do some incremental things, just like Detroit's done. Uh, we get Flint, Flint, Michigan uh, has a food co-op. Uh, one of the outgrowths of the interstate crisis is that uh, we realized that Allendale's in a food desert. You know, the food desert's where you can't easily get to a store. You have to own a car and have gas mm -hmm. to put in it to drive to the store to get groceries. So you wind up not eating well. So we started the uh, Allendale Corner Store Co-op and are, uh, have been meeting, uh, and we think we're still five years away from opening the first uh, food co-op, hopefully sourcing with local, uh, locally sourced food that we hope to develop more. And uh, Southern, that's through Southern University over there? No, it has nothing to do with them. This, this is people just saying, let's do something. Well, where, where Hardette's restaurant is now was the, was, the rest, was the grocery store. It was an Italian grocery back when Italian groceries were legal. Well, you could live above it. You know, yeah. let's make those legal again. No, but all, in very recent is years. That, is that illegal still on the book? Yeah. The, you cannot live above your store, but think how... But how in, in recent years, that was a, some, that was a grocery that, store. Uh, it was briefly, it was bought by uh, Fuller Center for the housing, Fuller, yeah. and they tried operating it, right. but and did they, not have the, uh, they weren't capitalized, so okay. we're not going to open until we're properly capitalized. They okay. were undercapitalized, and 
didn't know yeah. how to run a grocery right, store. Right. I don't either, but we will capitalize ourselves to the point where we can. So we have a 501c3, and we got a grant from an organization up north that, you know, co-ops were actually older. They're, they're very American. And, uh, you know, you, Land O'Lakes Butter's a co-op. There are a lot of co-ops mm-hmm. that you use. You just don't realize it. So REI is a co-op. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we're going to start a co-op, and we've started it. And mm-hmm. so we're uh, getting memberships uh, so that people can help us fund it and getting grants. We got a grant uh, or two grants to help study it, and we'll run the uh, all of the business studies so that we know exactly what we're doing before we start. And so we believe we can succeed if everybody will stop building highways through the neighborhood, that highway will come back really nicely. All right. So can I? Uh, can you put me in touch with Mr. Coe and maybe he could be a next guest on our podcast? I'd be excited to, and you'll love him. He's uh, he's in town now, and that's he's awesome. Quite a resource. I've seen some of his work just from uh, photographs online. It looks fantastic. I'd like to like to meet him in person. Yeah, I think he's co-architecture. Uh, you can look at his. Uh, is uh, you put in Chris Co Architecture Los Angeles in Google and okay. you'll find his work. But uh, cool. but I'll give you his number after the All show. Right, good deal. What um, if you could send a text message out to everybody in Treeport? What would it say? Uh, don't miss uh, Charles Marone. I call him Chuck. We've become friends. He's uh, he's coming to town November seventeenth, and he'll be speaking here uh, as part of his national book tour. I guarantee you, you'll hear positive words about Shreveport. Chuck loves. Shreveport. We became friends after Tim and I were able to organize uh, getting him here to speak. He fell in love with Shreveport. Has written extensively on Shreveport on his Strong Towns blog. So don't miss his uh, book tour here on the 17th of November. Where's that going to be? Uh, I, I don't know, but I would guess he's uh, going to be at the Shrek, uh the old fire station. So November 17th, Chuck Marone. That's yeah. Text message report, don't miss Chuck Marone on November 17th. Yeah. And um, how can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I manage a page for Allendale Strong, 3,700 friends of Allendale Strong now. And I'm on Twitter, uh, John Perk Perkins. And so You're just at John Perkins? At John Perk Perkins. Because oh, a lot yeah. of my friends, I'd love it if you guys say Perk next time you see me. All right. Welcome to you. I've been Perk. Uh, Perkins men are really smart and uh, very good looking. And that's why I really would like it if you guys would support the mayor. I, I think that he's got a, a very daunting task and is likely going to be one term, as will his successors be. But there's very hard work ahead of Shreveport. I've never been more scared for the future of Shreveport, but I, I'm very hopeful for the future because I believe that through doing things incrementally small, like our grandparents and great-grandparents did, building back Shreveport very small and very smartly, let's call it that, sustainable is another word for it, but in a, such a way that we can last for generations. Otherwise, I don't know that we'll be here uh, very much longer so we need to get smart and you guys are a huge part of that uh thanks for having this podcast yeah thanks for being on it let's uh let's end on a positive note what's uh what's your favorite thing to do in shreveport what are your favorite activities uh there's so many uh i of course really like eating and there's plenty of good food here top three uh, restaurants in shreveport uh, well right now right now i'm really stuck on uh on orlando's i probably eat there once a week it's really good Fantastic. Uh, 
us up north. I know it's in Allendale, so you got to figure out where it is, but it's on North Allen Street, and it's an old Italian grocery, and it's delicious food. She's open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for lunch. Yeah, for lunch only, and she's doing what I recommend, uh, incrementally developing her business instead of coming in, we're 24-7, you know, and then you— I like it. There's no menu. You just go in there and say, what are you cooking today, and you eat it. And Absolutely. I, go there for lunch. And I promise you it's good. And it is very you, you good. You want so, whatever it is, just eat it. Uh, well, what's and your number three restaurant for Shreveport, what is it? Uh, ooh, that's, a, uh, that's a tie, but there's a, a sandwich shop on Lion Avenue that's in all purple and gold. I forget the name of it, but I go in there for a po' boy every now and then, and it's probably the po best. Po' yeah, boy express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. the best po' boy in town I, for my money. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. The, and that's tied with? Has some LSU influences. Said, you, know, you said uh, you said your number three was going to be a tie, or did you say it was a tough one? Oh, uh, a tie. Yeah, because I still like and and when I recommended restaurants to people in town, Herbie K's. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and that that's uh, a very popular. The uh, out of town folks love the oh, yeah. realness. One of a kind, of it. for sure. Yeah. So, so that's our that's our John Perkins restaurant recommendation to Orlando's, Us Up North, Po' Boy Express, and Herbie K's. Yeah. So thank you, John, for being on. This was very informative, and I, and I look forward to having you on again very soon, and we're going to dive into a couple other issues that you brought up today. Great. I enjoyed the discussion. You guys are great. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks.